Hello, my name is Kristen Gutu, and this is Technically Biased, the podcast that discusses bias in tech. Today's guest speaker is David Ryan Polgar, who is the founder of All Tech is Human. He is a responsible tech advocate and is on the Content Advisory Council for TikTok. Before we dive into my questions, I want to thank David for being here today. I am a fan of All Tech is Human, and I would like to please ask you to start by introducing yourself and giving a little more background. Sure. Well, Kristen, thank you for for having me on your podcast. Thrilled to be here. And thank you for the kind words that you said about All Tech is Human. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm the founder. I'm the founder and director of the nonprofit All Tech is Human, which is really trying to build a global, multi-stakeholder, multidisciplinary network so we can tackle wicked tech and society issues at the speed of tech. What we're doing is we're creating this agile, highly participatory model that really thinks about all the different values that individuals have, what are best practices, and how can we chart a better tech future. So what does that look like? My own background uh, is as an attorney and educator and got heavily involved in the space of digital citizenship, tech ethics, and all related fields with responsible technology. Uh, Over a decade ago, I really just saw, especially with the rise of social media at that time, I always noticed that uh, social media and emerging technology was intersecting with really key areas of how we how we live, right? It's affecting how we live, learn, love, even die. Uh, technology is intertwined with the human condition and the future of democracy. So I think it's worth noting that we need to pause for a little bit and to say, we're not just dealing with something small potatoes anymore. We're not just dealing with something that uh, you can just set it and forget it. We're dealing with something that alters how we see the world, who we vote for, how we get a job, who we date, right? That is a very, very uh, big deal. It's consequential to a lot of individuals. So I always saw that so much of society felt really kind of jilted because you noticed that it was a small sliver of society that was making key decisions that was impacting all of us. It's affecting our civil liberties. It's affecting our trajectory in life. And as a individual, that can feel really threatening because you feel vulnerable to the sense that uh, our future is being determined without us. So one of the things that we like to say at All Tech is Human is no application without representation, not about us without us. If you're impacted by some way with technology, then you deserve some seat at the table, some ability to affect how it's designed developed and deployed. So really, I've always viewed technology through the lens of democracy, (laughs) through the lens of uh, civic participation. And I think that's the way it's it's headed. So All Tech is Human uh, was started in 2018, uh, held the first Ethical Tech Summit in New York, where I'm sitting right now recording this, this podcast. And we noticed right off the bat that there were so many people who wanted to get involved in this space, but they didn't know how. They didn't know who to talk to. Who are the organizations? What are the key topics? What type of education do I need? How do I get mentorship? So what we've done at All Tech is Human is we've said we need to have a more cohesive responsible tech movement, but also a larger one, one that has pathways for everyone who's listening to join. So really, it's moving against this kind of more elitist uh, approach that you only have certain types of people who are involved in the process. Uh, All Tech is Human, which I think kind of stands out relatively uniquely, is set up as a welcoming big tent type of space where all are not only welcome, but also that's a good thing. We want different perspectives because as you know, as much as I try to read, as much as I try to keep up with everything, and this is my full-time job, right? This is what I do. I, I, I study the impacts of technology. I talk to, to dozens of people a day. 
I'm still going to be limited in my worldview. At the end of the day, I'm still a guy who's sitting in New York. So that's going to have certain limitations. And that's not a bad thing. That's just saying I'm an individual. There's only so much of the world and perception that I can see. I still have my lived experiences, which are different than your lived experiences and are different than lived experiences of the listener. And that's a key part. So it's really this, this subtle move away from hyper-individualization and kind of a desire towards collective intelligence, right? So it's the power of community, the power of collective intelligence, the power to change systems. We've kind of rapidly grown since 2018. So currently, like on our Slack, about 6,000 members across 72 countries, over 1,400 people in our talent pool, regular summits and mixers. So we're rocking and rolling, right? So we're we're just trying to do something different. But Kristen, I'll, I'll leave it at there because I know there's a lot we can can chat about. But again, thrilled to thrilled to be here today. Thank you. And you mentioned the importance of representation. And I really want to key in on that because as someone who's at the beginning of my career, I'm trying to take advantage of all the free networking events I can. And I've begrudgingly noticed that a lot of these tech events are majority male, majority older. And so that's what I love about All Tech is Human. You have such a diverse audience uh, in age, in race, in gender. And I meet so many interesting people every time I go to your event. And it's so interesting to learn how their interest in tech overlaps with their intersecting interests in other fields. And it's very surprising to hear that All Tech is Human is only five years old. I expected it to be older. And so my next question is, if you could elaborate on some of the ups and downs you've experienced these five years yeah. and how you've really been able to key in on the audience that you've been able to attract because it's so important. So if you can touch on that. Definitely. You know, I think the the biggest struggle has been how do we grow as a nonprofit? So based here in the US, so a 501c3 nonprofit through our fiscal sponsor, Hopewell Fund. And the biggest struggle really has been we're always threading a needle because what we're trying to do is, frankly, relatively unique in that we are uniting people across civil society, government, industry, academia. That means that sometimes, as you talked about, there's an interesting mix of, of all different backgrounds. But that that's not normal, to be honest. Uh, and sometimes that also means that you're going to be in a room with somebody who you might disagree with. But I've always viewed that as a positive because we're dealing with emerging technology where the circumstances are rapidly changing. We're trying to look into a future that we cannot predict with any level of accuracy, right? So last year, everybody was talking about the metaverse. Well, how has that worked out, right? So we sometimes have the, the best and brightest minds who are making these predictions that are just frankly wildly off the mark. So All Tech is Human is trying to approach this issue with a certain level of humility to say we need to create a sandbox that's really acting as a community hub and a hub for knowledge that informs all these key stakeholders. So that means when policymakers are looking to be more proactive about legislation, who are they talking to? Well, if they come to us, now they have hundreds of, of people we've interviewed. They have thousands of people we've learned from with the community. It taps into actually what has happened. So the biggest kind of insight that I've had over these last five years is that people in positions of power oftentimes don't have access to the best ideas. And I can speak from first, you know, uh, from firsthand experience is that I get invited to a lot of great speaking gigs, right? I've travel the, the, the world. I, I love that stuff. It's a lot of fun. I like speaking to people. And sometimes you get invited to, to working groups. I serve on a couple of working groups. 
And then you get invited to, you know, cocktail parties and Chatham House Rules types of events. And the observation there was, wow, there can really be a disconnect because we tend to divorce the power structure with the actual access to who is feeling the impact of technology. So that is actually the key insight from All Tech is Human. And I like to call it our grassroots power model. So the best ideas tend to happen at the grassroots level. So the gatherings that you've been at, right at Betaworks here in New York in the Meatpacking District, that's about a diverse range of people who are coming together who might have new ideas. One moment you're talking to a startup founder who's trying to challenge the status quo, and then you have a researcher, and then you have a reporter, and then you have uh, like, a, like a, a student, an artist, and then you have a VC person, and a billionaire walks in the door. And that's just New York. That's the beauty of New York City. There's not a lot of places like it. And so it is very intentional of why we are based in New York, because it has an amalgamation of all these incredible uh, backgrounds and kind of power structures. Anyhow, uh, what I've always noticed is that people who actually have the ability to, uh, to affect change, they don't mingle with people who have the best ideas, with people who are actually saying, this is how it's impacting my community. In other words, if you want to think about it like, a, like a, uh, an analogy, the rooms where key decisions are being made do not have great representation of people at the table. So what All Tech is Human is doing is it's actually connecting that and it's saying that everyone can have a seat at the table because your ideas get injected into a larger system. I'll give you a quick example of how this occurs. I remember recently, and it just shows you kind of this dissonance personally I sometimes have in my my life, is that uh, recently here in New York, Betaworks, we, we held an event, a uh, gathering for 200 people, and then we had our kind of keynote speaker, Douglas Rushkoff, a well-known media theorist, uh, also has a podcast, great podcast called Team Human, and wrote a book called Team Human, and a lot of other books, uh, I think 20, 20 books. Very inspiring for, for me personally, so, uh, so I was thrilled to have him. They're giving this kind of rousing, you know, fire us up type of type of speech, but less than 24 hours. Right. So we went from this like grassroots moment of like, damn, the man, what's happening? How can we gain human agency? And then less than 24 hours later, you know, I, I had the opportunity to meet with uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada uh, here in New York, uh, where where he he was visiting. And that's the. That's the key part of All Tech is Human, is that we're actually connecting good people and good ideas to traditional sources of power, which then causes the actual change to happen. Because since I've been involved in the space for over a decade, I can't tell you how frustrated I've been from being in these powerful rooms and recognizing that the people around the table don't actually know fully what is happening. And that is also because there's a lot of protection around these insulated spaces because, frankly, to be quite candid, it's a messy process to have a big tent, to welcome everyone in. It means that you're going to invite disagreement. You're going to invite different backgrounds. You're not going to have a uh, kind of a, a uniform idea. So the way I've always structured All Tech is Human is that it's not based on a sage on the stage model or a uh, like thinking about how a pack of dogs are led by by like a top dog. Instead, I've always been kind of obsessed with. How do birds learn how to flock together, right? So there's different actually modes of, of uh, flow of how ideas transition. And all tech is human actually works like a flock of birds that consensus starts building over time. If you create an open system where ideas can intermingle, 
where they can get interrogated. And it's an iterative process because what we do is we have these open working groups. So Kristen, you were talking about kind of emerging in the space and growing your career. Well, one of the frustrations that a lot of people directly kind of with your experience have is they say, well, wait a minute, what's my, what's my pathway in? How do I get uplifted? How do I learn from somebody? How do I get the next opportunity to beef up my <laughs> CV or resume to grow? So with our working groups, and I've seen this again firsthand, we mix the emerging with the established, and that actually causes positive change. For example, I remember one time where uh, an individual, uh, Victoria, wrote me uh, you know, an email and said, hey, like... You know, I really want to say how Alltech is human affected my life because I came into this space viewing myself as a mother of three. And one, you have that idea of how do you perceive yourself? But then two, she didn't feel like she was being welcomed into the space because they're like, well, wait a minute. How do you, what experience do you have? But you need to get experience in order to get future experience. So you're caught into this catch 22 type of trap. But because she was on this open working group, and that is also unique, it's not typical. Usually it's very hard to get on a, an organization's working group, and they tend to select the same people. And then it frankly becomes a little bit of a circuit. You're like, oh, I, I know that name. And, they're, and you're like, yes, they're on like seven working groups, right? There's a circuit that happens where the same people get selected because it creates a cascading effect because people want the reputational value, things of that nature. But anyhow, in that situation, she joined a working group. That working group means that she is now connected with a network. Our working groups are always around 150, 200 people all across the globe. So she's now connected with, with more people. That increases her network. That increases friendship and relationships. And one of the, one of the individuals uh, happened to be uh, you know, on the, the World Economic Forum. Again, not normal. You don't. You don't normally say, oh, okay, uh, I'm just going to join a working group. And there's somebody from the World Economic Forum, somebody from Aspen, somebody from IBM, somebody from Microsoft. That's usually going to take an individual years, right? So like in my own background, like I, I spent years kind of like carving out a unique space that actually did not exist at the time that I started it, it like wasn't there. So it was like, okay, how does this field get created? And that's why a lot of responsible tech the people who are, uh, you know, veterans in the space, they say, well, they kind of came about it <clears throat> accidentally or, or with a hodgepodge of, of, of experience. But now we're starting to say, okay, let's build this into a profession. Let's, let's create mentorship. Let's create kind of pathways for everybody who is listening to be able to get involved. And you shouldn't have to be, you know, at a CS degree at Stanford or, or something that is always going to have a high level of activity and a high level of kind of privilege attached with what it's going to lead to, right? We have always found with Altec is Human is that we have career changers. We have somebody who, who says, wait a minute, I've been in a totally different career for 15 years, but I recognize how much my smartphone is altering my career. Children, it's 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 altering like uh, democracy at large, and they just are hungry to do something that is important and that is values aligned. And I think we owe it to society to create spaces for these people, and they don't normally have a lot of support. So all we're focused on, and what Alltech is Human does, is tries to provide that support. But you you asked up uh, at the top of the question you know, the kind of the struggles with it. And the struggle really has been, since that is a somewhat unique idea, in the very structure of a nonprofit, you're placed into a very awkward position of having to then go through traditional sources of funding, you know, large foundations. And if they're not used to that, then you now have to kind of, uh, you know, sell them on, on why this is important. And that, I, I will say, has always been, been a challenge. 
So even though I started Alta Casima in 2018, it wasn't until 2021, in June of 2021, where we received our first grant, where we could actually start hiring people. So that meant that I would have a lot of dissonance in my life because people would send a message and say, wow, like, you know, I'll take you more people need to know about this. This needs to grow. You should come to, you know, you should come to Wisconsin. Hey, wait, have you thought about being in Amsterdam? And then you have to, you know, have this like code switch where you then talk to a funder who says, well, David, I don't really understand the point. Like one example, just quickly with that is even the responsible tech guide right now. So we're currently in a working group going to release the latest version. It was first released in September of 2020. Our responsible tech guide, uh, and I know this because people reach out and tell me, uh, has led to new people getting into the space, people understanding the ecosystem, organizations that want to start now, they utilize it to kind of say, what does the lay of the land look like? People have mentioned that they didn't even know about these careers, but then they read somebody and it, uh, it read somebody's profile and then they got inspired. And they said, well, now I want to get into responsible AI. Now I want to get into trust and safety or tech and democracy. But I pitched that for over a year to some, some key funders and they flat out told me, they said, David, I don't think there is a point for this. Like, I don't see what this does. And at that time, I had to make a really important decision. Who do I think is correct, right? Do I listen to them to say, God, maybe that's just a bad idea. Maybe I'll take a human is a terrible idea. Or do I listen to people who are being helped out? People who are saying, I don't have support. I'm not part of the system. And I always come back to a uh, Yiddish phrase. It was kind of popularized by Malcolm Gladwell a bunch of years ago. And then it states to an earthworm in horseradish, the world is horseradish. And the idea with that is that people tend not to understand something that they don't know. Because if they don't know that other people are on the outside and they don't have a way in, they just assume because they're going to the same parties, they're talking to the exact same people. There's a circuit. They assume that that's the community. So to them, they would say, well, I don't, I don't know what this, this guy David is doing at Altecosium. And it doesn't make any sense. Who is he talking about? These aren't, these aren't people who should be involved in the decisions. And I got to say, I think they were flatly wrong. And frankly, I'm very glad that I didn't listen to them because, uh, you know, I almost had to give up on Altecosium. Because that effectively meant that I had to run a, you know, a, a nonprofit organization that's trying to interact with thousands of people with a zero dollar budget. And what that means in reality that most people would never see behind the scenes is that during COVID, <laughs> uh, I guess the side benefit was everybody was just at home and you're staring at a computer screen. So that's where I said, you know, screw it. If they don't see the vision, then I'm just going to have to do it. And that's where I just put out, you know, online, let's form a working group. Let's do this responsible tech guide. Again, $0 budget. You can kind of, kind of tell, right? And now we constantly improve it. And that meant that in the middle of COVID, right, uh, what ended up happening is kind of like a hackathon. I, I stayed up for uh, 32 straight hours and just drank a lot of coffee and said, I'm not going to leave outside of bathroom breaks. <laughs> I'm not going to leave until this is done because sometimes individuals like funders, you know, they, it, they can't always see the vision because they need to see the result. So one of the reasons why all tech is human is gaining a lot of steam right now is because we just did it. And then people say, wow, this is really important. And then that leads to our social tech job board. And then, then that leads to our talent pool. And then our Slack grows to almost 6,000 members. And then, you know, all of our events are, are oversubscribed and our mentorship program had 700 applications in two weeks. So my point there is 
that's the the difficulty of running an organization is that you have different audiences. Honestly, I wish I only had to deal with 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 people who are directly in our community, who are feeling the impacts of technology, who want to get involved because that's the inspiring part. That's the part that keeps me going. And to be quite candid, it can oftentimes be very deflating to go from everybody being so excited and saying, what's next? How do we build this? This, you know, I got a, a job because of this, or now I, I, I see this, you know, as being like my community. Like that is important to people. And that's important to me. That's why I do this. So it can oftentimes be very deflating to then toggle to the next group of people where you then have to say, here's why all tech is human is valuable. And you kind of sometimes want to say, God, I, you know, I wish you just felt what other people felt. I wish you saw what other people saw. So that, to your question, to fully answer that, that's the struggle. The struggle is that at the end of the day, I still have to grow a nonprofit that has to be sustainable. And that's not easy because you have to find uh, sources of, of money because labor is not free, right? We're growing our staff. Well, those are, that's employment. That's, those are jobs. That's healthcare. So you always still have to fit it within the system. You know, it's that we don't have a rich uncle that gives us a $20 million check. So we have to constantly prove our worth. So I, I would say that's uh, that's where I'm going to leave it right on that question. I'm so glad you touched on all of that because I try to go to at least one tech networking event a week. And every time somebody asks what my background is, I say ethical tech. And I often get laughed at, I get suspicious stares. And one of the questions I'm always asked is, does ethical tech exist? What does that even mean? So can you share what responsible tech, what ethical yeah. AI means? Yeah. In an ideal world, we wouldn't have to put ethical or responsible in front of it. One of the reasons why we've had the rise of the responsible tech movement is because we're reacting in certain respects to an irresponsible tech movement. I obviously people mentioned, uh, you know, Facebook's kind of original ethos of move fast and break things. And what we've realized <clears throat> is that since technology is so crucial, it means that it should not be left solely to the technologist. I think that's why you receive that type of pushback because there's a little bit of a um, tug of war behind the scenes because if you're the technologist, you sometimes just want to be left alone. You want to say, hey, well, we're building something cool. Whereas really... Uh, you know, you just have to watch a movie like Jurassic Park <laughs> where where they, you know, famously talk about just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's where that, you know, that line really kind of got popularized. Because if you are altering society, if you're altering how people interact with one another, if you're altering our, you know, copyright law and trademark law, well, then don't you think we need psychologists and attorneys and social workers and game theorists, it makes sense. When you think about a technologist, they normally wouldn't describe themselves as like a people person. They would describe themselves in like a highly technical form. In addition, a key difference is that every type of personality is usually kind of aligned sometimes with a person's profession. So that's why like, you know, there's there's usually kind of generalizations around certain professions because it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, because of that personality that drew them into a profession that complements their personality. So one of the key problems is that technologists oftentimes approach an issue in a more black and white type of mentality of like, how can we make this like perfect 
world? How can we fix something? And so many other professions come about it from the humility and messiness aspect of, well, wait a minute, this is kind of intersecting with so many different aspects, right? I'll give you an example. I, over the last year, year and a half, uh, there was a huge hype cycle around the metaverse and how everybody was going to the metaverse and then how Facebook changes their name to meta. And it, to me, that really showcased two distinct outlooks in life. And this is a real important part, I think I, I would want to underline. For a lot of individuals in that camp, they see the future as naturally unraveling and almost there's nothing we can do about it, right? They view it in a sense of, well, the future is just going to happen and we're just going to join the metaverse. So it doesn't matter if you want to or not, it just is going to happen. Or a bunch of years before that, when Google Glass came out and then Snap Spectacles came out, and now you have Apple getting into that game. We were always hit with this idea that that's just where the future is going to go. So you have the early adopters, and then you're going to have like eventually grandma is going to, to wear Google Glass. Well, guess what? Grandma never did wear Google Glass. And grandma is not going to the metaverse and neither are you right now. And I think the big part that those types of individuals, what they misunderstand in the world is that technology cannot be divorced from the human experience. So let's boil that down right now. You have, you know, we're just getting out of a pandemic, world changing, generation changing pandemic over two years. Well, for that technologist, they would have thought, God, like if there was a time when people would wear headsets, well, wouldn't it be when everybody is stuck at home and working from home? So the fact that that didn't happen showcased how how much uh, technologists sometimes discount human behavior. So when I look at that problem, I actually see it totally different. I would look at it holistically and say, wait a minute, there's a major problem going on in this world right now. And it's quite serious. And, it, and it's the rise of uh, depression and loneliness. Right, we're in a uh, crisis of of connection. That's quite clear to a lot of people right now. The stats, uh, frankly, are very troubling. And I point that out because if I'm looking at where the future is headed, I would say, wait a minute. If there is a crisis of connection, if the average person today has less close friends than they did 50 years ago, I don't view that as a, a positive. And I, I view everything through base human emotions that at the end of the day, and this is how I view every aspect of life. At the end of the day, everything actually is quite basic in the sense that we want knowledge, right? Knowledge is power from even from an evolutionary standpoint, right? Making sure we know who our enemy is, making sure we know who's dangerous. We want love and and sex, right? We want relationships. We want entertainment. So the reason why something like social media or in the smartphone have been so wildly successful is because that technology just happens to overlap with our innate human desires for connection, for friendship, for entertainment, to have knowledge about what our neighbor or friend or, or, you know, classmate from 10th grade is up to. So it actually just goes directly into that. Whereas if I'm looking at the, the metaverse hype and how that was just painfully off base, I would say, well, of course that's not going to take off now because if you're saying that so many people are lonely and that we have a pandemic, that is highly disruptive 
especially if you're, you're thinking about like middle school, high school students, like that's your time where you, you connect with, with friendships and you make these lasting memories that you're going to think about the rest of your life. So that's really, really important. So if I'm thinking that a people at the, at the end of the day, you know, we might struggle with things, but we still hunger for humans. That's why our gatherings are, are successful because people like other people we are pack animals, right? We, we, we like people. It doesn't mean that we, we don't have social anxiety or we don't sometimes, you know, you know, spend too much time on our phone. But at the end of the day, we still long for human connection and warmth and, and really that kind of vibe that is never replaceable anywhere else. That actually is very important. So if I look at that, I would say, well, of course, nobody wants to put a headset on right now because they want to look at somebody in the eyes because they're actually feeling like what the heck is happening in this world like there's a you know there's there's a lot of terrible things happening like there's honestly behind the scenes the average individual is feeling a lot of stress and a lot of stressors through a pandemic so don't you think that they would want human connection and the opposite of human connection is to put something over your eyes and go within yourself. What people are actually hungering is to go outside of themselves and to be part of something larger. So I would say uh, all tech is human is frankly the inverse of the, the metaverse <laughs> uh, because it's about uh, community and collective intelligence and about belonging. I love that and I couldn't agree more. And so now I have a multifold question because you sure. so much to work with, but we see, like you said, how negative uh, social media is, how depression is increasing, loneliness is increasing. So my questions are, one, what are your thoughts on threads going forward? And two, you are on TikTok's Content Advisory Council. And I know a lot of people are skeptical of TikTok because it's mm -hmm. Chinese owned. But then that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, can we trust American owned companies? I mean, look at what Meta's doing. Look at what the war between Elon Musk and Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. Is it really any better? Yeah, what I would say with that, I was just having a discussion with, with another individual where what we were talking about was that we need to always promote a, a world where it's not about being forced to do anything. It's about doing something that works for you. Uh, I remember explicitly, uh, you know, this one moment where I was on stage, uh, you know, on this panel pre COVID and it was, you know, definitely with the, the rise of social media. So it's probably like six or seven years ago. And it was with a lot of uh, high school students and then their parents, a lot of parents who, who wanted to get their, their, their kids into these top schools. It was a very competitive type of environment. And the other panelists with me said something along the lines of, well, you just have to be on social media, right? Like it's a, it's a requirement. And, you know, I, I pushed back on that because I, I said, well, all right, if social media is working for you and, and it, it adds uh, you know, positivity to your life and leads to increased friendships and, and offline experiences, then that's great. Then that can be extremely positive. I've, I've met a lot of, of close friends now because of social media. So to me, it's been an incredible win in that respect. But you should never be forced into something. And, and very early on with the rise of social media, it was this weird kind of compulsion where every person in business, every time a new platform came out, said, well, wait a minute. Now you have to be on, on this one. Now you have to be here. And, and then they would add their little logos to, to it. And uh, that is quite strange. So so to your point about, you know, I serve on, on TikTok's Content Advisory Council for the U.S., uh, really what I see my role as is how do I get inside of a system and bring forth good ideas for positive change. 
to your point, uh, yeah, social media is is in a really tricky position right now where, uh, you know, being an American, the larger point you would say is, well, wait a minute, if most issues are connected with data privacy, then let's set a higher standard. Let's just create a national data privacy law. Things that we as a nation can do, things that can better the average kind of individual uh, and their experience. So I think that's really the way of of the world. It's it's definitely becoming a hot geopolitical issue because you have social media companies that are uh, multinational, right, or global in in nature, and a lot of articles and you know think pieces have talked about how social media companies have effectively become their own countries in the sense of how much uh you know wealth and population that they that they have right and that has led to an idea that they call techplomacy of of like uh, diplomats dealing with with tech companies and really viewing it through that light so it's a really st- strange predicament we're in because originally with the rise of the web we did always view it as a global village so if you actually look at the early parts of of the optimism around what the web was supposed to do it was supposed to bring us together and showcase that it doesn't matter if you're in Kathmandu or Timbuktu that there's limited differences because we can share ideas with one another we can see one another and right now it, it seems like we're going through a lot of uh growing pains around well should should social media companies be global like is is meta its own kind of entity and are we moving away from these country by country kind of basis or is it always subservient below each individual country's government which would mean that you would have Here's what Meta looks like in Turkey. Here's what Meta looks like in, you know, you name it, uh, in Argentina. That's that's a big struggle. I think we're we're constantly going through. Uh, is where does where does social media fit in inside this world? And what I'll say, uh, you know, since this is a space I'm kind of heavily involved in, one of the reasons why that's happening is because our human experience is is now being mediated through non-governmental actors and the example for that would be of you, you know you mentioned like Elon Musk and Twitter i we oftentimes portrayed or especially somebody like Elon Musk portrayed Twitter or portrays it as this this digital town square right well there's a real problem with that statement in that when you have a town square, then you have laws around that. And, you know, if it was a, you would have a local ordinance, which is basically a local law. And if they said, Kristen, well, you know, you, your speech is not appropriate. You would say, well, now I want to go to court. I want to, I want to fight this. Right. So you actually have three branches of government. So you have your legislative branch creating the laws, the executive branch carrying them out, judicial branch interpreting, uh, interpreting whether that, that law is appropriate, whether it's applied or whether it seems like arbitrary and capricious. So you have a lot of scaffolding, a lot of structure, and a lot of thought around what is appropriate speech. So now what has happened is as we've migrated to... Uh, Snapchat to TikTok to Instagram, we still view it as this, like, especially as an American, like, wait a minute, this is my my free expression. So we're we're looking towards these companies in a quasi-governmental way. Because even think about the way a lot of people talk about it in the media. They say, wait a minute, they're, you know, TikTok or, or this other company is is is, you know, they're 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 uh, taking away my freedom of speech. And that's the way we frame it. But what's what's really difficult about that statement is for that statement to be true, then that company would actually have to be kind of the government, right? Because even our, our First Amendment is based on what Congress, 
right? What the government cannot infringe on a right. It's not based on the private company. The private company, strangely enough, <laughs> under the Supreme Court, would have its own First Amendment right. So, so Twitter actually has a First Amendment right. So now it's become really, really complex. So the larger point, because everybody kind of plays like a little bit of like, okay, well, then it's just a private company. Well, well, not exactly because we're approaching it in this different way. And I think that's what we really need to iron out. So we do a lot of work in that space is that companies are recognizing that they are in over their skis. So one of the reasons why I always knew deep down that everything would just keep on growing in, in what I'm doing in my career is because I looked at early on, like I said, over a decade ago, as, as Facebook was growing, and I kept on thinking, yeah, but did, how, how, how do they think about civil liberties? How do they think about whether somebody is posting something that's discriminatory based on, like with housing? And we, ha we have a, you know, dozens of years of, of thought and, and debate around these issues. But then we created these systems that tried to think, no, 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 this is just technology. So it's not a social system, but it's interacting directly with the social system because it, it affects who gets a job. It affects who can get an apartment or, or a, a loan. So you have a technical system of somebody saying, no, no, no it's just technical. But now it's, it's directly going to our societal social fabric structure, which is why it behooves us to have people who understand human behavior <laughs> in this system. Because that's where it's it's living. Yeah. And the scariest part that I think you mentioned was comparing these companies to countries. Yeah. And the power they have that is sometimes stronger than some countries. And many of us might be aware of Cambridge Analytica's role mm -hmm. in the American election. But what many people don't realize is we cannot prove this claim, but Cambridge Analytica boasted that they interfered in 20 or so government's uh, politics. And they used, I think, like Nigeria and Trinidad and Tobago as like test runs, you know, like practicing for the real deal. And it's scary to see how we're being manipulated, but also how we're being manipulated without even the awareness. And um, there's this algorithmic opaqueness that we can't protect ourselves because we don't know what to protect ourselves from. So for my final question, what are your goals for All Tech is Human to keep trudging along? Yeah. And how can we maintain this ethical tech uh, ecosystem? Well, my goal is to showcase to some of those uh, key people that we are building a better mousetrap honestly, at the end of the day. And also, I, I, I'll be quite candid. I think we have to highlight that community matters. Because I, I, I'll be, uh, you know, uh, brutally honest, in the sense that I've definitely noticed with the rise of All Tech is Human, that certain people get it, and then it resonates. But then for other people, they they view community as, as messy, right? Because it's, it's not like you're creating, Hey, let's just take these 10 big names in it and, and elevate that. And that's really where, where we're growing all tech is human, because it's a move away from that. What I call like this tedification model. And really it, it's quite simple. If you actually look at how most organizations are set up, it's usually quite clear in that you have uh, anointed uh, thought leaders and you have the thought leadership class and they're supposed to come up with the ideas and the ideas then are supposed to get pushed out to you as the individual recipient. So you are then supposed to be a disseminator. So, in, so you're supposed to say, wow, these guys are so smart. I really like their idea. I'm going to spread it. So it, it tends to be very uh, hierarchical in, in thinking. It's this dissemination of ideas. 
right? The tetification. Whereas I think that that idea is outdated. I don't think that works anymore. And also I think it's uh, offensive to, to the wisdom of the public, of the masses, of a variety of backgrounds. So where we're going is continuing to build out and create a system that instead of it being a singular dissemination of ideas, it gets flattened where it's supposed to be this larger hub where instead of an idea coming from the top and then going you know, to, to the person and then having them share it, it's supposed to say, here's my idea. What's your idea? How do these two ideas mingle? What does that new part transform into? How does that idea then get pushed back out to more people? And how do those more people get involved into the system and say, well, wait a minute, you forgot this. I would change this. And so that is very circular or iterative in a process. Totally different than most every other organization that is set up in a top-down hierarchy dissemination of ideas, the sage on the stage, as opposed to uh, our organization acting as a guide on the side, where we cultivate community and ideas in an environment that is conducive to understanding each other, to understanding values, and then co-creating a tech future that's aligned with the public interest. Well, David, I so appreciate you being here. I'm so excited to see what else All Tech is Human achieves, and I'm very excited to keep attending your events. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Technically Biased. Tune in next week for a fresh take. Have a great day, everyone.